Good morning. Of course, you could always take both the chocolate and the zucchini, melt the chocolate and have an unusual fondue. Genesis chapter 11, we are doing an Old Testament study of some of the biblical characters with emphasis on application to our own lives. By studying the victories and the failures, that's why God put what he put in the Bible for our benefit. So, Lord willing, over the next several weeks, we'll be able to learn some lessons from the book of a- from the life of Abraham. <clears throat> Genesis 11. Let's begin reading in verse 31. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh, And the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. We'll stop there. <clears throat> this uh this section often called the call of abraham you might even have that heading in your bible now uh we're going to call abram abraham just for the sake of ease we all know who we're talking about even though his name really doesn't change until chapter 17 just for ease of use we're going to call him abraham throughout <clears throat> abraham called the friend of god in the bible the first patriarch uh an example of faith in the Bible. In fact, really the, the most prominent example of faith, the book of Hebrews, book of Galatians, book of Romans, book of James. That's the trademark of this man's life, faith. And so uh, we're going to talk somewhat about that this morning. But we're going to see, too, he was... Remember when we think about uh, these people, male or female, that they were just like us in the sense that they had the same passions, the same temptations, same failures uh and so they have faults as well as as victories and we're going to look at that and see how it applies to us remember in james james says elijah was a like man as us with like passions well if elijah was like us certainly abraham was too uh 
many of you know, when you study the Bible, there's a list of questions. There are many ways to go about uh, having a quiet time studying the Bible uh, to kind of help you bring things out. For example, there's a list of questions. I don't know who started them, but it's a good, a good way to uh, bring things out of a Bible section you're looking at. Uh, the questions are something like, as you read the section, ask yourself, is there a promise to claim? Uh, is there a sin to forsake? Is there an error to avoid? Is there an example to follow? Or is there something new about the Lord in the passage? Those are the five questions. We're going to ask two of those questions and see them answered here. Is there an example to follow? And is there an error to avoid? Because both are here in the passage we just read. Now, uh, I could say, therefore, I have some bad news and some good news for you this morning. So what would you like to do first? (laughs) These are the bad news, right? So let's see the uh, error to avoid here in the life of Abram. Uh, It's kind of confusing. I don't know if you noticed that. When you read this section, let's look first of all at the command that God had given. By by the way, it said the Lord had said to Abram way back in Ur of the Chaldees. That's over in the south of modern day Iraq. What had God said to Abram? Listen, chapter 12, verse 1. There are actually four commands here. In one, listen carefully to what the four commands are. Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Do you see the four of them there? Number one, get out of your country. Okay? Secondly, from your family, leave your family. Of course, God didn't mean his wife, he didn't have any children, of course, we know that, but his wife anyway. But his, the rest of his family, outside of his immediate family, leave them. And from your father's house, leave your father. Fourth, to a land that I will show you. It's implying this is supposed to be a nonstop trip, right? Okay, you see that? Now, this is interesting. Go back to verse 31, and what does it say? And Terah took his son, Abram. And his grandson, Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, his son, Abram's wife. And they went out with them from her of the Chaldees to go to the land of Canaan. Sounds good. But then it says, and they came to Haran and dwelt there. Whoops. (laughs) You see that? How many out of four did he did he do? One, the first one. He, he did leave the place he, he lived in, but uh, Pop is along for the trip. God said, don't do that. He's got other relatives. He's got his, cousin, his nephew, Lot, and uh, it's not a nonstop trip. It's interesting that it says uh, they set out to go to the land of Canaan, but it says they came to Haran and dwelt there. That's halfway, by the way. Okay, you know the Fertile Crescent. You've seen it a lot of times. Ur is over here where they started from. Canaan or Israel is over here. Haran's up here, and that's where they stopped. Okay, and we know they stayed there for quite a while because we saw in uh, verse 5, look at that. When they finally did move on from Haran to the promised land, it says, Then Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. That takes a little while. So, And the interesting thing to me is, in the chronology of Abram's life, you just can't, you don't know how long he was in Haran. 
You can't figure it out. We know he was 75 when he left. It says that. But it seems that it was quite a while. So, that is the error to avoid, number one. We might call it, beware of partial obedience. Partial obedience. Now, let me say plainly that that God is very gracious when he talks about Abraham and his faith in the New Testament. And when he talks about this particular part, he talks about several things in Abraham's life. When he talks about this particular episode, God is very gracious. He commends Abraham for his, his faith in leaving uh, his home and setting out to a place he didn't know. And he just doesn't mention the other three. Okay? He says it this way. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. And he did do that, didn't he? And we'll talk about that uh, a little later. But uh, let's look at the three because there's something to learn here for us. The three parts that Abraham uh, disobeyed. First of all, dad is along for the ride. Terah, that's Abram, Abraham's father. Interestingly, it says in verse 31 that he's leading the uh, campaign here. Did you notice that? Is that interesting? One would like to know, how did this come about? God called Abraham. And Terah is leading the party now. And Abraham's going along for the ride. We don't know how that happened. Uh, perhaps Abraham went to his dad and said, I've had a call from God to, to leave and leave my family, leave you, everybody behind, and go to a land he's going to show me. And maybe his dad said, well, that's, that's not right. You know, you can't just pull up stakes and leave your family. We need to go with you. However it happened, he not only came along, but uh, led the party. Now, the interesting thing is modified obedience. We, we can do that too, can't we? Modified obedience, you know. Uh, part of what God wants us to do is okay, but there's parts that we don't like. And sometimes we can modify God's uh, will for us in such a way that um, to all appearances, it looks like a nice improvement. You know, it's compassionate maybe or noble even or righteous looking. But the point is, if it's not what God said, it's wrong. Now here, you think about it. Abram, he takes his dad along. Isn't that good? Isn't that a good thing? Huh? I mean, come on. He's thinking of his father. Do you know what the problem with this is? God always has a reason for commanding things the way he does. Do you know why God told Abraham to leave his dad behind? Let me read a verse, a little known verse in Joshua. It's neat how God adds little details to events that previously happened in the Bible so we can learn more about it. <clears throat> Joshua recounts the history of Israel, as you know, toward the end of his life. And he reminds the Israelites of God's faithfulness over the years, right? And in that commentary, he says this. Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Now, we, we, we think because Abraham was such a godly man, his father must have been too. His father was an idolater. And it makes sense. Ur of the Chaldees was a very idolatrous place. And so God, for good reason, said, leave your idolatrous dad behind. 
so God knew where he was, what he was doing when he said that. Terah was an idolater, but for some reason, uh, Abraham brought him along. It reminds me of the would-be disciple who came to Jesus and said, I'll follow you, but let me first bury my father. Jesus' answer to that guy was, was pretty clear. What did he say? Let the dead, what? Bury the dead. Was Jesus being cruel? No. What Jesus was implying here, since he said the dead, he's implying his father didn't know the Lord, like Terah here. And he said, anybody can do that, but very few can go out and preach the gospel. Don't, don't spend your life doing things like that, burying dead people. And so that's what Abraham needed to do, was leave his, his father behind. Um, <clears throat> I'm the first to confess that we do this so often. Improve, you know, on God's command. Tweak it a little. And there's no better example of God's opinion of this than uh, with Saul. There are some great lines in that section where God told Saul to go out and take care of Agag and, and his uh, king Agag. It was a uh, Amalekite king and all the people. He said, don't spare anybody, including the animals. Well, as we know, Saul spared not only Agag, but uh, the animals. And listen to this wonderful exchange here. When uh, Samuel approaches Saul, knowing full well that he had not done what God had said, although he'd won a great victory, he, he, he modified God's command somewhat by saying, well, yeah, we'll, we'll kill most of them, but we're going to spare some of them. Samuel comes up, and I love this. Saul says to him, blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Isn't that good? But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? And the lowing of the oxen, which I hear. Isn't that good? And Saul said, uh, uh, they have uh, brought them from the Amalekites, meaning the people. For the people, <clears throat> listen to how he justifies this, <clears throat> spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Isn't it interesting? He says the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Now, that sounds pretty good. What, about 80%, right? Obedience. Listen to what Samuel says. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Listen to the words he uses now. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry listen the word of god is perfect he says that and so if it's perfect if we alter it in any way it's worse we, you can't change it for, you can't change what's perfect for the better okay so <clears throat> modified obedience or partial obedience let's be honest it's disobedience that's what god says <clears throat> okay uh so that's the first one there from your father's house he, he, he took dad along the second uh thing that he didn't do was from your family how did he violate that yeah lot that's right lots his nephew i don't think we need to go into much detail about the problem with that do we <laughs> lot was uh a weight around Abraham's life the whole time he was in 
Canaan, as we know from the Bible. And, and so God knew what he was saying when he said, get out from your father's house and your family, just you, okay? Just you come with your immediate family. God knew what he was saying. But because Abraham permitted Lot to come, uh, and we're going to save this for Michael. Michael's going to talk to us about Lot in a, in a, in a few weeks. Um, it was nothing but problems. And we learned from that that our improvements on God's will can have ongoing, even permanent consequences, can't they? And it was certainly the case with Lot. Okay, finally, the, the fourth uh, part of the command was go to a land that I will show you. Uh, it was supposed to be a non-stop trip, but they stopped in Haran for quite a while, obviously. Uh, what's interesting about that is we have no message from God that whole time. In fact, God just kind of sandwiches it in there, you know, just passes over. They spent a lot of time in Haran, and he doesn't go into detail about it. God spoke to Abraham in Ur of the Chaldees. He revealed himself to him, told him what he wanted him to do. He did not reveal himself to Abraham again for who knows how many years until Abraham was where God wanted him to go. Isn't that interesting? No revelations in in Haran. In fact, there it is. Notice uh, verse uh, 7. After Abraham finally moves out of Haran and goes into the place God wanted to go, then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. He says, this is the place at last. A lot of lessons we can learn from that. We can move in the right direction in our Christian lives, you know, kind of toward the will of God, but stop short. You know, uh, spend some time in Haran. <laughs> you know, uh, kind of set a, a, a limit. Well, I'll go this far, Lord, but uh, I'm going to wait a while, you know, until I think I'm ready to go a little further. Many professing Christians remain in Haran. They set out on the journey, but they're willing to go only so far. And they deliberately stop short of full commitment to the Lord. The interesting thing is that we can be like uh, Abram. Uh, you can gain things and possessions. He, he really uh, increased in wealth, didn't he, while he was in Haran? Materially, but spiritually he was dry. And it wasn't until he did what God wanted him to do completely that God then revealed himself to him. And we can be in a spiritual desert because we've stopped short in Haran. God is silent. His word is closed to us while we're in Haran. Like Abraham in Haran, time is passing, <clears throat> but we're going nowhere. We're stopped. You know, we're on hold. <clears throat> and uh, there's a good parallel with the church at Laodicea. Listen to what the Lord Jesus says to people who are in that state who profess his name <clears throat> because you say i am rich have become wealthy and have need of nothing listen to this sad statement and do not know that you are wretched miserable poor blind and naked a christian in that state often doesn't realize they they think uh, look at all this blessing look at all this material stuff i must be doing god is blessing jesus says they don't even know it that they're miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And his counsel is, he says, you buy from me. There it is. Buy from me. Jesus is what I need. If I'm in that state of haran, of spiritual dryness, I need to come to Jesus. And he has everything I need. 
as he says, be zealous and repent. Interesting in that passage, he knocks from the outside. It's not the door of your heart, it's the door of the church. The believer is separated from the Lord. There's a break in the fellowship. And we're the poorer for it, not him, when we pause in Haran. Okay, well, that's the bad news. That's, that's the, that's the uh, uh, error to avoid. Now the good news. We have two positive examples here from the life of Abraham. Let's look at them now. The first one is uh, getting back to that passage in Hebrews 11 where it said about Abraham that he went out, I love this phrase, not knowing where he was going. That, that's really commendable, isn't it? Think about it. He's an old guy, you know, settled, looking to, forward to his retirement years in Ur of the Chaldees. It's been his home for his whole life. Imagine pulling up roots late in life like that and heading out and not knowing where you're going simply because God said to do it. Man, that honors God, doesn't it? Huh? Doesn't that show? Boy, his God must be really trustworthy for him to do that. That glorifies God. And so that's why God points that out in the New Testament. Boy, that meant so much to the Lord that he would go out not knowing where he was going because God didn't tell him. He said, you go out to a land that I will show you. You're not going to know until you get there. And it's, it, of course, it's in Hebrews and it's brought out that way as an encouragement to us. <clears throat> uh, I remember I was unsaved for 25 years and I know what it's like to not be a Christian and hear a Christian talk about faith. And, uh, you know, it has, it's based on the word of God, by the way. But to think about it as blind faith, you know, the old, you know, and there's a cliff right there, right? That, that's the picture, blind faith. That's the world's picture. The interesting thing is, by the way, that's promoted by the devil. You know, when he tempted Jesus and took him to the top of the mount, what did he tell him to do? Remember, basically this, you know, just go ahead, jump off and the angels will catch you. That's the devil's idea. That's not God's idea. Listen, faith, biblical faith is the soundest thing you could ever have or do. Think about it. When I am stepping out in faith the way Abraham did, where I don't, how, how many times God calls us to do this all the time, to step out into some area where we don't, we're not sure how it's going to work out, but we know he wants us to do it. And so we do it trusting him. Listen, at that point, I'm following the one who knows everything. He knows the future. And he has absolute power and control. That's pretty good, don't you think? Is that blind? No. On the other hand, when I'm running the show, do I know everything? <laughs> do I know the future? Can I control things? No. It's the worst place to be. So faith, that is trusting in the word of God and acting on it, is the sanest, it's the clearest vision, if you want to put it that way, you can have. Abraham did not know where he was going, but God did. And that's all that mattered. Okay? And boy, does that ever apply to us, huh? I was thinking as I thought about this, it's a wonderful illustration as Abraham is going out. He doesn't know where he's going, but God does. Uh, we've got three kids, and I remember when they each took their first steps. And you parents, you know, um, 
you, when your kid is just beginning to actually take those steps, you'll, you'll get down on the floor a short distance away, you know, and you'll say, okay, come on, come to daddy or come to mommy, right? And it's maybe like two steps away or whatever. And after they get a little better, you kind of, it's kind of a terrible trick, really. You kind of back up, you know, <laughs> right? Right? Don't we do that? Huh? You know, and it looks like two steps by the time they get there, it's 20, you know? But the point is, you see, if you ever watch the child, they're focused on mommy or daddy all the time, looking up in their face, big grin usually on their face, you know, you know, and that's all that matters to them, you know, and they get there. And that's the way the Lord is with us. And he's always right there to catch us. Don't worry, you're not going to fall and hurt yourself, okay? You know? Too often, we want to be like God. We want to know the end from the beginning, don't we? You know? If that were the case, number one, we wouldn't need God. Number two, we'd be God. That's, all, that's God's place and only his, okay? Not ours. We know the one who knows the end from the beginning, and that should be enough. There are so many applications of this to our lives. As I thought about it, I first thought of young people, having been a young person myself at one time. <clears throat> one of the big areas, of course, is marriage. Relationship, you know, that, that for certain someone, the opposite sex. Or at least biblically, that's the way it's supposed to be. And uh, it's clear the Bible teaches that God wants us to let go of that area, get our grubby little paws off of it and trust him for it. You know, let him provide the one. If I provide it, I've seen this work out. And now I've been a Christian for 37 years over and over again. I've seen the young people who can't wait and they manipulate it and work it out themselves. And it ends in heartache. I'm, I can tell you stories. On the other hand, praise God, I've seen so many young people who just, yeah, it's, it's like not knowing where they're going. Like Abraham, they just step out and say, okay, Lord, it's in your hands now. I'm going to trust you. And it works out to the glory of God. And they're happy in the Lord. And there are people in this room that can testify to that. There's a temptation there to, uh, you know, I'm not sure God's going to do it right. I better take control here to make sure it's okay, you know. As soon as we do that, we're in trouble. Be willing to step out not knowing where you're going, young person, okay? At that point, when, when, when you do that, you're putting God on the line. He loves a challenge, okay? <laughs> He's faithful to his word. And, of course, it expands. And, again, I'm thinking of, uh, of younger people here, but sometimes uh, uh, older people. I've seen... Uh, when a lot of people get saved, sometimes there's a, there's a boyfriend or a girlfriend that's unsaved, you know, and, and God's saying, you need to break that up, you know, and, and uh, now you belong to me. There's a, there's a new land out there, so to speak, that you need to step into. Careers, schooling. I've seen uh, the Lord lead people to change uh, careers, change their direction in school, sometimes even quit school. Uh, there's a new land that God has called them to. And sometimes it's hard, you know, as, as, a, as a young believer to uh, step out and leave her of the Chaldees because it's a familiar place. I, I can speak of uh, two 
big events in in uh, my my life with my wife. Um, first time was when I quit my job for nine months and went into the intern program. That's a nine month uh, discipling training program uh, at Fairhaven, and that was a, that was that was leaving early the Chaldees and stepping out, and we didn't know where the Lord was going to take us. Well, the Lord was faithful, I can tell you. Okay, and then of course later. When uh, seven of us came out, some of us married, uh, to start the new work. At that time, we called it San Lorenzo Bible Chapel, and I'll never forget it. Bill was always out preaching on Sunday morning, so there were six happy, smiling faces staring at each other on Sunday mornings in a living room instead of the wonderful comfort of Fairhaven Bible Chapel where, you know, somebody else was going to preach the message and it was probably going to be pretty good, you know, and you settle back and listen to the message. But God honored that. He called us there, you see. It wasn't our idea, it was his. And we would have been the worse off to refuse that call. But let me tell you, we stepped out. We didn't know where we were going, did we? No. Howard here? <clears throat> so whatever it is, big or small, missions, if God calls you to the mission field, it's the safest place to be, to follow him there. It's a wonderful thing. God is in the habit of calling us to places where we don't know where we're going because it honors him, as we said. When Abraham did it, it really honored God. Abraham was saying, I don't know where I'm going, but God does, and that's enough for me. <clears throat> Little ways. We, we've seen it here amongst ourselves. Recently, we had uh, the door-to-door evangelism. Think, every, every morning when we gathered here and we stepped outside the door, we were going into a land and we weren't sure what was going to be there, right? Huh? That's the way I felt, you know, I'm going to be coming up to these strange doors. I don't know who they are. I don't know what they're going to do to me. And that honors God. Speaking about evangelism, let me give you one practical assignment this week. Maybe there's somebody in your life that uh, it's like a strange land to you. You know, you're, you're, you're not sure what they're going to do if you try to talk to them about the Lord. Pray about it and step out, not knowing where you're going, you know. And uh, just trust the Lord and see what happens. This is, this is such a, a broad uh, a principle in the lives of Christians. And I could go on here. Uh, Don and the other elders have uh, put out the, the opportunity for some of the men to preach and, and uh, take some passages from the Old Testament. Brothers, that's a chance to step out from Ur of the Chaldees and not know where you're going, but trust the Lord in it. Child rearing, wives submitting to husbands, husband taking the spiritual lead in the family. We could go on. It applies any time we're afraid to step out of the comfort zone to follow the Lord because of fear of unknown results. Okay? This, this principle applies any time we're afraid to step out of the comfort zone to follow the Lord because of fear of unknown results. I can, I can tell you this plainly, by the way. God will never fail you if you do that. Ever. Abraham is remembered for not knowing where he was going, but going anyway because he knew God wanted him there. Is there a land God is calling you to that you're fearful of entering because you're unsure of what awaits you? Fear not. He knows. In fact, he's there. Okay, the second example to follow is uh, summarized. I'll just read it to you. In uh, God's description of Abraham while he was in the land. Listen now. 
to the, the principle here. By faith, he, that is Abraham, dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. It's really ironic when you think about it, you know. We, we know all the promises to Abraham. You know, Abraham never inherited the land himself. He was a wanderer the whole time. Here God calls him, uproots him <clears throat> from this permanent establishment in Ur of the Chaldees, and he ends up being a tent dweller <clears throat> for the rest of his life in the promised land. And there are many reasons for that. Certainly one of them is the example here that uh, ultimately... Abraham's resting place was with the Lord and there was no place on this earth that was permanent for him. And therefore, it's an example for us. That's why God has that section in Hebrews to remind us this is not our home. Okay, we're we're sojourners. I love that. It's an Old Testament word and a, a King James word. We traveling through this land. This is not our home. Our home is with the Lord. We often think uh, when we think, oh, yeah, Canaan is a as a, a picture of the Christian life, we think of Joshua conquering all the enemies. Well, that's, that's a good picture of the Christian life. But you know, the one that's quoted in the New Testament to use as an example of our lives, it's Abraham right here. And that is to illustrate that we have no permanent ties here, but we're traveling through. Listen to these passages that talk about that. There's a lot of them. At the end of Hebrews, therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. In First uh, Peter, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners, and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul having your conduct honorable among the gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers they may by your good works which they observe glorify god in the day of visitation and there peter has the picture of really two parallel kingdoms right here on earth it's very real you know there are two kingdoms right now on the earth if you're a christian you used to be in the other kingdom the kingdom of the devil kingdom of darkness But it says God translated us out of that kingdom into the kingdom of his dear son. So now as Christians, we share the same place with those that are still in that kingdom, but it's not our home anymore. You see, there's a wonderful phrase in the book of uh, Revelation when God talks about those on the earth and the and the uh, judgments are coming down. Uh, The phrase usually says something like those who dwell on the earth. It's one word, literally earth dwellers. Those whose beginning and end is right here on this planet. That's it. That's as far as their lives go. 
That shouldn't be us as believers. We should look upon this place as a place we're going through. This is not our destination. Listen to the way Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> but this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use this world as not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away. And then he says, finally, in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is where? In heaven. Praise God for that. huh? If Jesus said, I go away and prepare a place for you. Well, let me see. It's not here. He's preparing that place. <laughs> that says my place is not here. <laughs> it's where Jesus is preparing it. And we need that mindset of Abraham. He lived in tents. He never settled down. We're to be like that. <clears throat> God says in Hebrews, talking about those dear saints, he says their lives were different because they were focused on their final destination. And that's the way we should be. I uh, went with my family last week, I know a lot of you know, um, to, the, to uh, follow the old emigrant trail of the pioneers coming west from Missouri uh, last week. And I got a great illustration of this over the last week as we traipsed some of the original trail that the pioneers went across. Um, it's neat living where we are because there are some really extreme sections of the trail right within a couple of hours uh, of where we live. <clears throat> the farthest we went back on the trail was up in northern Nevada along the Humboldt River, down the Humboldt Sink. Then there's the 40-mile desert, a terrible place. Thousands of pioneers died in that stretch. Uh, then we followed the Truckee River through the Truckee Meadows, which now Reno. Um, and then up through Verde and up a little back way up the, the Sierras. And uh, it's really neat because as you go up the way they went up the Sierras, you're in this narrow ravine. And it just looks so unpromising because it's getting narrow and narrow as you're getting toward the top. And all of a sudden you get to the top and it opens up and there's this beautiful meadow called Dog Valley, about four miles long and half a mile wide. To this day, it's one of the most scenic spots in the Sierras you'd ever want to see. But the point is that we read the accounts and we read the uh, signs that they had at the various places. You learned that as the pioneers came along the trail, there were, there were terrible places where a lot of them died, you know, deserts and and uh, accidents along the way but no matter how bad it got they they would uh, encourage themselves by thinking of california okay you know they they kept reminding themselves i'm going somewhere you know and each step i take i'm getting closer and you'd see that they'd write that in the diary to get themselves through the hard times but even when, when things were great like like i said that beautiful valley dog valley uh, Carnine said she'd like to have a place there, you know. But they didn't stop because they're going somewhere. You see, no matter how beautiful it was, how idyllic the setting was, they would remind themselves, no, this is not where I'm going. I'm going to California, you know. And they kept holding out that final destination before themselves to keep going, to take another step, you know. And no matter what the present circumstances were, it was the ultimate goal that they kept in mind. 
That's us. Okay? That's us. What does God say in, in Colossians? He says, don't set your mind on things below. Set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We're to walk by faith, keeping that final destination in mind. It'll change our lives. You know? I can tell, I know, you know, when I have that before me. And I know when I don't. Isn't that true for you? You know, sometimes we can just kind of forget and we get focused on down here. But uh, we need to be like Abraham and like those pioneers. Keep focused on the final destination. Jesus is preparing a place. And by the way, it's not the place. That's the neat thing. It's the person. It's him. That's what I'm longing to see and to be with. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you for the life of Abraham and the many things that it teaches us, Lord. We pray that we might learn from his example. Help us, Lord, not to settle down in Haran and stop short of your best for us. But we pray, Lord, that by your grace we might uh, keep you ever before our eyes. And that as we focus on you and the certain sure hope that we have of being with you forever, that it might be so real to us that it would literally change our lives and that others might see it as well, that we know you and long to be with you. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.